Hey, Sandra. Hey, Mark. What's happening this week on Offscript? Well, uh, this week will be... Oh, wait a second. Oh, I forgot to mention something to you. Sorry. What? I have a joke, and I've been working really hard on the wording and the timing, mm-hmm. and it applies to what we're talking about this week. So the joke is... Let's hear it. Um, and a fair amount of research went into it also. The founding fathers of Nova Scotia had a better title in mind for Province House, but White House was already taken. Was it taken at that time, though? It was, and yeah, I had you, to look you, into that. You re- yeah. That's the, that's the <laughs> yeah, fair that amount of research. research. <laughs> <laughs> I had to just double-check that it was there first. Okay. Can you explain your shirt? Um, so this shirt is something that I got a lot of flack for on social media. It says... It says, Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. And uh, some people think that's racist. (laughs) Are you talking about anybody in particular? Um, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) That was not what I was expecting. (laughs) Yeah. um, No, I just made that up. But yeah, this shirt got a a lot of flack on social media because... um, Give me the confidence of a mediocre white man seems like it's saying white men are mediocre. But um, I think that it's more about having the very normal, average, reasonable amount of confidence that a lot of other people have. Right. Yeah. Which was an issue for some of the MLAs that we spoke with who were um, we spoke with the three MLAs who who each were the only black MLA in the legislature when they were there. At their time. Yeah. Okay, why don't we start the episode? Okay. There were a couple incidents. I try to forget most of them, but some of them flashed back my mind. I was standing in line to get get my lunch, and so I picked up a banana, and he goes, Oh, you like bananas, do you? Systemic racism continues to have a major impact on African Nova Scotians. A new report says many feel like second-class citizens and are reluctant to engage with government agencies. I had a feeling that I was probably the first candidate that ever knocked on his door that he refused to shake hands. It was just one of those things I thought, hi, my name is Percy Paris, and I stuck my hand out and he put his hands behind his back. In 2006, the Black Loyalist Heritage Society was torched. And in 2007, the Black Cultural Center for Nova Scotia was firebombed and painted with racist graffiti. It seems as though I'd walked back into time, if you will. I think politically it's totally entrenched. You may have read or heard that there were descriptions of Nova Scotia as being the Alabama of the North. True in in very many ways. And sometimes you get a little sad because you realize it hasn't changed a whole lot, even in the and this is 21st century. You're listening to On the Record Off Script, and I'm your host, Sandra Hennebohm. Off Script is a journey through the career of Nova Scotia MLAs as told through the eyes of former lawmakers themselves. In this episode, we explore some of the remarks and behavior that made three African Nova Scotian MLAs, who each served as the only black MLA in the legislature, feel unwelcome. I was a surprise to the legislature because first black woman in Atlantic Canada, really, uh, to hold a seat um, as an MLA. 
Sometimes they would make underhanded racist remarks. Yvonne Atwell served from 1998 to 1999. She worked in community development before running for the NDP. But what she found in the legislature wasn't her idea of community. People in the, in across the, the aisle would, would try to scare you down. Um, people, when you got up to speak, people didn't really listen, right? Um, you know, people would say, um, they wouldn't, you know, hassle me a lot openly, uh, but you could see that they were talking to each other and, and you know, they did that with all of us basically. But I just found it, you know, that the staring at me was, <laughs> I didn't know what that was about. But it was hard because in opposition, you, uh, when you're out to various things, there's usually no people of color, usually all men. And sometimes those things were hard, and I hated shaking hands. So it was little things like that. It was, um, you know, I mean, it was a place where, you know, a place of performance. The host is a place of performance. That is not where the work gets done. And then sometimes it's called in caucus. It's like, you know, you got to be careful. You can't say too much. And um, issues around the Indigenous Black and Micmac program. So maybe you shouldn't ask this question. Maybe somebody else should ask it. And, you know, so. And then there was no black folks there. So um, I said, well, you know, I want it. It'd be nice to have a researcher from the community. So we got a researcher. He was a young guy, was a lawyer. Uh, they hired him as a researcher. And then uh, there was a girl who was in communication that I knew. I said, you've got to hire some people, so they hired her. You know, the media would say, well, this is only a one-term MLA, because I was dealing probably too much with community issues. Mm. And I was very open about it. I was open about the fact that I think that we should have had uh, more space for regional representation in the African Nova Scotia community if we wanted to get anything done. I mean, you, don't, you can't have those real conversations that says, you know, for example, this is the African Nova Scotian males that drop out of school. If you were to look at the, some of the research, by the time they're in grade 10, they're missing. They're gone. Where are they going? Where are they gone? They don't move away. It's because they quit school in grade 9, in grade 8, right? Can't find employment. They get involved in, in you know, crime and all of those things. Government has the opportunity to fix that. Every African Nova Scotian person should be working at something should be either working or in school or have a business. Every one of them. There's a weird whining noise that happens through parts of Yvonne's interview, but it was not a dying animal. There was some construction happening outside of the office where we recorded the interview. I thought those things would change under the NDP government. I mean, that's what I put out there in my, in my community. Mm. And it didn't change. And now it's worse. Right? And now it's worse. Let's go back a little bit to when Yvonne said... I was a surprise to the legislature. She was a surprise to the legislature, and she was surprised by how overtly racist some of her colleagues could be. Even lunchtime was tough. I was standing in line to get um, to get my lunch, and so I picked up a banana, and he goes, Oh, you like bananas, do you? I looked at him, I didn't answer him. He said, Oh, Wayne Adams liked bananas too. And I thought that was a very insulting remark, but I wasn't prepared for that. To me, I had thought people were above that sort of thing. Because, come on, these are people who somebody voted for. <laughs> but they weren't above that, that's for sure. You know, No, yeah, stuff like that. So you could feel it. Yvonne remembered that comment as racist. 
she and Wayne Adams won their seats despite being a minority in the Preston Riding, where the majority of the population was white. The area of the Preston Riding is a little bit tricky to understand. The community is in a riding, but it's not the whole riding. Preston residents are represented by the same person who represents residents in Lake Echo and Porter's Lake. The reason why we bring it up is because Yvonne said that she struggled with that. So a lot of people don't realize that if you are an MLA for an area called Preston, Preston residents are not the majority of your constituents. You have to remember that the black community is small. Like We only represent about a quarter of the population out there. But it's really really quite interesting because uh, I don't think that you can represent a community like the African Nova Scotian community in, 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 in you can represent it in in the collective way with other areas that are like like Ports Lake and Lake Echo that are, you know, medium to upper income levels in terms of of economics and then mm-hmm. you know, the Prestons who have a lower up economic position. In a previous episode in this series on roads, Mark shared Yvonne's story about how she struggled to balance the interests of her middle and upper income constituents with that of her low income Preston constituents. I used to have a hard time with uh, people calling me from those areas when they had a pothole in front of their door. Mm-hmm. Uh, in front of their the road that they're you know and they have a boat in the backyard and they have a, a small plane in their in their their, their shed or whatever uh, up around uh, Porter's Lake and they would have a pothole and they would call you you want your pothole fixed and then some people in Preston who were looking for a turkey for Christmas dinner you know it's it's very hard to to be able to try to bring some you know equality. Because both people had an issue that was important to them. Right. Um, and so you deal with it the best way you know how to deal with it, right? Mm. So that was, that, was, that was the most difficult for me. That was one that was very difficult for me, uh, being, being in a, a politician. As a politician, she also struggled to understand the mentality of the voters in the area. I think, you know, sometimes I think when people vote in people that they don't traditionally vote in, for example, for me, sometimes I think, well, was this a vote for the NDP and Yvonne Atwell, the NDP, or was this a slap against Wayne Adams, the liberal, because he didn't do what he was supposed to do? And sometimes I think that's what happens. So you get, a lot of people get one terms um, of, of in politics. I mean, I was told that by uh, a constituency member in, in, in Portis Lake who said, well, you know what, we gave the Liberals a chance, we gave the NDP a chance, and now it's time for conservatives. So that's when they voted in David Hensby, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I guess, you know, you just go down the list. First on that list was Wayne Adams. You know, there's, there's a lot of different perceptions. Some people are saying that the running was gerrymandered so that blacks could be guaranteed a win. And that's so far from the fact, <laughs> you know, if every black person that dug and can voted, you can't win. It, you know, it, 23 percent. I don't know how that method ever worked, but anyway, you know, 75 percent of my writing was white. That's Wayne Adams talking to Mark. Wayne represented the Preston area before Yvonne Atwell. When you were running, did you, I guess, experience any racism during the campaign? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Right off the gate. Even for county council. Oh, yeah. Like, why in the name of God am I going to vote for you? Both you today and you rob me tomorrow. Bang. Okay. Have a good day. 
And you would get those yeah. types of responses even up into the provincial campaign? Oh, yes. Yeah, the provincial campaign, they're more blatant. It was always interesting to have, uh, have a, a wait and argue with you. Back to the podcast in a moment. Offscript is made possible by the listeners who pay for the content we produce with their donations. If you're a regular listener and you get something out of it, we hope you'll make a contribution over at offscript.ca slash donate. One of the listeners who recently made a donation is Monica Dutt from Sydney River, Cape Breton. And I have been involved in politics in various ways as a campaign worker, an activist, a candidate, and I'm a longtime supporter of Springtide Collective's work. I have been binge listening to the podcast recently, and I have really appreciated hearing politicians and those connected to politics in various ways tell their stories. And I'm feeling that the podcast has given me a better understanding of politics in Nova Scotia as well as across the country because the lessons are are broadly applicable and they're lessons about how we can make our democracy better at a local, provincial, and national level. So thank you, Springtide, for the work that you're doing on this. Thanks, Monica. You can be like her by going to offscript.ca slash donate and choosing to give three, five, or eight bucks a month. Okay, back to the podcast. It was always interesting to have, uh, have a, a wait during argument with you. Did that change things? Well, they come to the door until I showed up. And they look at me and say, oh, I'm not interested. Close the door on the white guy. Wayne credits his win, in part, due to the name recognition he had in the community from working as a journalist. Oh, yeah, yeah, we did pretty well. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's basically from exposure. So people recognize that they're not dealing with a total stranger or someone that's really off the wall, even though some people thought I was. Uh, you know, like I remember one guy who oh, no, looked at me, put his hand in his hip and says, now why would I want to vote for a Black Panther? <laughs> I said, I have no idea. I don't know if I would myself. <laughs> As he politely slammed the door. I try to forget most of them, but some of them flash back in my mind. You know. Then there's a the case of a kid that comes to the door and his eyes are like that. When he looks at me, and says, I say, is your mother and father home? And he's paralyzed. He goes, Mommy! He runs away from the door. And I hear him yell to those, Mommy! Who's that there? It's Bill Cosby! <laughs> it's one of the highlights. It wouldn't be now, mind you. Uh, right. Right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he have a pretty... Uh to take it all in stride and doesn't seem to... That's a survival. That's a survival method of yeah. of my people, I think, for the most part. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. I'm curious um, about, uh, you mentioned the racism experience during the campaign. Mm-hmm. In the legislature and as a minister, did that continue or were there... Yeah, like, I felt some of it in the, in the legislature. How would it show up there? Um, body language, for the most part. Some of your own colleagues very disappointed when you scored a point. Wouldn't say it, but the body language is very evident. If I was speaking on something that was a winning argument with all sides of the house, or answer the question the other side was satisfied with, you you get the <clears throat> no. The body language is pretty clear. Darn it, he's right. You know, and you might get a, a limp handshake, or you may get no handshake. Just totally ignore, ignore, ignore it. And uh, other times you'd ask a colleague to help you get something in your community that uh, it was under his ministry, and he'd agree with you, but nothing would ever happen. 
steps. So he had to go through his bureaucrats or his deputy and get it done. Yeah, there's not a whole lot, but there were certainly two or three people that did that on a regular basis, mostly within the party. Yeah. I remember being told by a former MLA, when you get elected, Adams, you'll notice that all your enemies are with you. They're not all across the house, but I grew to realize it's true. You ran as liberal. Why did you mm -hmm. run as liberal party? I talked to a lot of senior folks, some who were near death. When I was making that decision, I asked them, I'm thinking about running provincially. Should it be NDP, Tory, or Liberal? And inadvertently, unanimously, with no exceptions, <laughs> I was told, you better run Liberal. Take care of your people. Because no one else will. <laughs> right. And so it sounds like you had the option to run for one of the other parties as well? Oh, there's no question. I was supported heavily by both parties. By both parties. All three parties, I should say. Huh. Yeah. What drove you to put your name in the hat? Mainly the people I, that surrounded my, where I lived. And friends and neighbors. They encouraged you. Yeah, for about 10 years, and I finally gave in. Yeah, I had a lot of pressure for a long time to run, and I kept resisting it because I, you know, I didn't, there wasn't a lot of glamour in politicians. I still isn't. <laughs> when I got a uh, closer look at it, it wasn't that bad at all. Mm. They were still human beings who had the uh, ability to think and talk and someone to make a difference. My, uh, my, my workers came in with, with some stories that uh, they went into somebody that was on the, uh, that questioned them how they could work for a nigger. And uh, using pretty strong language like that. So that happened more than once. And they would tell me this and I would call the guy. I, I remember one conversation I had with the guy and I asked him if that's what he said. He said, well, he said, probably and hung up the phone. What really, I think, drew me into politics was the Conservatives uh, had a representative here in the riding that my interpretation was that uh, he wasn't a very nice person, especially for, uh, for women and for minority groups. So somebody said, well, why don't you run against them? So the rest is... There's something about politics that just grabs a hold of you. And it's very, very fast, initially, <laughs> very fascinating, very, uh, uh, very challenging, but you stop to think about it. Well, these are a group of individuals that make up a party that are going to shape the future of what Nova Scotia is going to look like. And uh, you, you say, well, gee, you, you want to be a part of that. Here I was, an African Nova Scotian, running in a white riding. And so the question was, can I win? Can a black man win in a white riding? And someone said to me, well, you can. Percy Pears would go on to run for the NDP and become the MLA for Waverly Fall River Beaver Bank, a seat he held from 2006 to 2013. Well, then we started off. I was the Minister of African Nova Scotian Affairs, the Minister of Tourism, the Minister uh, for Economic and Rural Development, uh, the Minister responsible for the World Trading Convention Centre, the Minister responsible for uh, waterfront Development Corporation, 
that's five. Uh, the uh, what else? What am I missing? Oh, uh, the minister for uh, culture and heritage. Well, there's sex. I'm I'm no expert on tourism. African Nova Scotia affairs. Well, that's going to be a piece of cake. I know that inside out. Uh, economic what? Well, because I own a business, does that make me an expert? Uh, there's more to economic and rural development than just owning the business. So I said, I, I got some work to do. So everywhere as I went, they were giving me manuals. And it's like you're, you're cramming for an exam, but you're happy about it. <laughs> I, and, and all I could think of was, you know, my, 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 my father and my mother aren't alive to see this. You know, my dad had just passed away. And uh, to think that uh, this little black kid from Curry's Corner, Nova Scotia, that uh, teachers said wasn't going to amount to anything, is now a minister of the crown. They said I'd never go to university. Public school says. Before I went to Dell, I owned a newspaper, and I always thought that uh, uh, media never express things from a black perspective. And so I want to give another another flavor. Based on Percy's stories about his time in the legislature, not many people liked his flavor of the black perspective. And he didn't much like the flavor of politics in Province House either. I, I hated the tone of the house. And when you go in there, uh, that's the atmosphere is very hostile. And just the way that the house is designed, government on one side, and you got the two opposition, you got the opposition and the third party on the opposite side, looking at one another. So it's, it's designed to be confrontational. You know, the, the way you ask a question was well, confrontational in itself. And, uh, you know, you uh, you, you minister, you, uh, you said on such and such a date that you would not blah, 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 blah. And what did you do? You went and done it. I just found the way it was set up wasn't healthy. I, here I was, uh, the only African Nova Scotian in the house, and I'd be asking questions to the Minister of African Nova Scotian Affairs, who was white, who, who I was disappointed in, not as a person, but I was disappointed that he didn't come over and congratulate me on winning, winning the seat, whether it be beating out somebody from his party or not. So there are a few things you need to know to understand the rest of this story. The incident he just described happened when Percy and the NDP were in opposition and was at the beginning of Percy's career. By the end of his career, Percy will have become the Minister of African Nova Scotian Affairs in the NDP government, but he would be facing white critics of that portfolio in the opposition party. This was a source of understandable frustration for Percy as the only African Nova Scotian in Province House for the length of his career. And more on that in a few minutes. We offered a workshop to every MLA uh, in the House of Assembly. Before I went into a workshop, I would um, have the participants um, fill out a questionnaire. A question would be, if you had the choice, 
would you rather be treated equally or fairly? At the end of the two days or three days, they all answer differently. Treating everybody equally is not the same as treating everybody fairly. Uh, you say, um, uh, no, I'll treat you as I want to be treated. Right, golden rule. Well, you learn with three days with me that that's not the, that's not the right approach. Or what is the right approach? Well, treat me as I want to be treated. How did you want to be treated? Being the only black representative in the legislature was pretty tense for Percy. He told us that the adversarial design of legislative politics kept other MLAs from collaborating with him on bills involving the African Nova Scotian community. PCs uh, uh, introduce a bill around the Viola Desmond Day. And here again, they don't understand uh, how insulting that is. The two sides of the aisle are measured to the length of two swords and one inch. I often heard the idiom, cut and thrust, to refer to adversarial politics. Oh, it's the cut and thrust of the legislature. It's a pretty violent characterization, considering that cut and thrust is a fencing technique for defeating an opponent with your sword. With that characterization in Percy's mind, it's not surprising that he was troubled by the attitudes around legislation that involved the black community. I'm just across the way. It's not about the bill itself. Come over and say, well, look, you're the minister of African Nova Scotian Affairs. We're thinking about introducing... I'm not going to steal the bill. You know, give us some input. We want to work with you. But here again, it was the attitude, well, we're going to do this for our black community of Nova Scotia because we're proud of our black community. And I'm sitting there, and how insulting is that? I mean, I'm not a possession. You don't own me. You might have... You might have, but those days are gone. What I always used to say to students, and to adults, uh, when, I, when I was teaching at Down, the corporate community would hire me to come in and give them lessons on racism. Sometimes you can say something, and it's unintentional, but this is how it's being interpreted. interpreted. So it, what, what I don't want to hear... And what I would hear in the house, oh, well, I, I've been talking like that for the last 60 years, and I'm going to continue to talk like that. Well, that's wrong. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm giving you some suggestions how you can stop insulting me and insulting other people's. Percy explained this in reference to one specific incident. The incident began in the legislative chamber during question period, but it ended in the men's washroom. So I'm here with Rocky Jones down at uh, Province Host. So uh, just tell us what's going on down here today. Well, the, uh, we came here to show support for Percy Paris, who resigned after uh, some sort of an altercation here at Province House. Uh, we just know that uh, he had reached the end of his rope, uh, obviously, and something happened. So, what do you think Nova Scotians are taking from this? Two 65-year-old men fighting in a bathroom. Well... I, I can't really speak to that. In, in any event, uh, those matters are before the courts, and uh, I don't intend to comment on that. Uh, there was a, a heated discussion going on all during question period with the Nova Scotia Home. He means the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children. Matter of fact, there were a lot of um, uh, persons of uh, African descent were up in the gallery, and the language... Uh, that I was hearing from the opposite sides of the house was 
was racist in nature, and uh, I was uh, I was getting very upset. Uh, Keith Caldwell got up and spoke at length, and he was using uh, uh, possessive terms when he talked about the black community. And the honourable member for Preston. Yesterday, Mr. Speaker, I asked the Premier a simple question on behalf of all women in Preston around the mobile breast screening unit. I'm going to, you know, you're going to have to explain to the people in my community, a black community, that's not going to get the service this year because it was left off the list of the government site. So I'd ask the Premier to again apologize to the people in my community for not including this year in the... Honourable the Premier. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I feel very sorry for that. Uh, these are my people and, you know, um, things that he wouldn't use when he was talking about the, the white community. And um, uh, I, so after question period, I just wanted to get out of there. I go in the bathroom and I'm in there and Keith Caldwell comes in and he's standing there and I'm doing my business, and I'm saying to him, I can't believe, and my words exactly, I can't, you of all people, using language like that. And his response is, I've always used that language. And I said, oh, here we go. And I said, I said you, you of all people, you have uh, uh, in your riding, you, a large uh, membership in your riding, are African Nova Scotians, and you talk about us as if we're property. He would yell something back, and I'm, you know, washing my hands. He's just standing there, not using the bathroom, saying things uh, that uh, he was X number of years old, and that's the way he's always talked about the black community, and that's the way he's always, he's going to continue to talk about the black community. It makes me even madder to think, here's a chance to improve upon uh, yourself and you're because it's coming from someone of African descent you're just going to ignore it because you can get away with it and I said to Keith Caldwell oh I said I should slap you in the black community we say that all the time oh I should slap you but it's not meant that you're going to the, if I was going to slap you said, I'm going to slap you I'm going to tell you you know you're going to get it and uh, so he still didn't use the bathroom. So people said he just went in there to aggravate me because it's pretty obvious I was upset. Uh, when I wiped my hands and I'm going, he's coming out with me, still nattering in my ear, repeating the same things. I didn't, I didn't grab him. I didn't push him. He went to raise his arms. And when he raised his arms, I put my both hands on his, on his hands. It's a bit of a macho thing because if you're so tough, you lift your hands while I'm holding them down. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a hold of them. I'm putting pressure on them from, and I just wanted to prove that I'm stronger than you. So did I touch him? I did. And I've, I've said that. I, did I have his permission to touch him? Well, no, I didn't. I didn't ask for his permission. I did lay my hands on him. I didn't grab him by the scruff of the neck. I didn't push him but I did touch him. And for that, they laid charges.
We've already heard from Ramona Genex, Percy's NDP colleague who told us about being assaulted by a liberal MLA in a hallway at Province House during her time as education minister. In that case, Ramona's assault was handled internally and charges weren't laid. You wouldn't have heard about it in the news. Keith and Percy's altercation was reported as the first assault between MLAs in the legislature since 1973. In that case, Paul McEwen was punched point-blank in the face in front of everyone, right in the chamber, and charges still weren't laid. MLAs sometimes lose their cool, as Percy said, and there are plenty of reasons to believe that they lose their cool more often than any published account can capture. In past and future episodes of Offscript, as well as in articles published at localexpress.ca, XMLAs share some of those reasons. But in the case that happened decades before Keith and Percy's altercation, Paul McEwen was punched point blank in the face in front of everyone right in the chamber and charges still weren't laid. The fights that took place on the floor were never carried outside of the chamber. With one exception, that was Dr. Laffin, who hit, punched my colleague in the house. And went and tried to strangle me in the lobby once. We just said, love, you know, that's Mike. That's Jeremy Ackerman. He was one of the XMLAs we interviewed for this project, and he's also the president of the XMLA Association. He's also an actor and writer. So when the altercation between Percy Paris and Keith Colwell hit newspapers, Jeremy wrote an article recalling the 1973 assault between former MLAs Paul McEwen and Mike Laffin. He says he was there that day, sitting next to Paul, as Mike approached. A big part of me thinks that this article was tempting the public to compare the situation to Percy Paris and Keith Caldwell. Mark will read a short excerpt of that article. Laffin was an extremely popular member with all parties. He was affable, gregarious, well-liked in his writing, and had an exemplary war record. He sometimes did exhibit irascibility and lose his temper. However, allowances were made for the occasional lapses because Laffin had been badly abused as a prisoner of war. McEwen, on the other hand, was the most unpopular member in the House, according to Jeremy. The loud, hectoring tone he employed in the early years of his long political career did not go down well with other MLAs. At the time, he was also ill at ease in the legislature, seeing it as a bastion of wealth and privilege, so others saw him as cold, edgy, and standoffish. In later years, McEwen changed considerably in many respects, but in those days he was very much the lone maverick. Most important, McEwen was contemptuous of the media, so it was only natural that they, in return, heartily loathed him. Not for one second did either McEwen or I entertain the notion of involving the police. It was a house matter and the house was handling it. As I have outlined elsewhere, in later years Laffin and I became friends. Laffin and McEwen also became good friends. McEwen often told me of the great times they had when Laffin took him up in his light aircraft and explained the finer points of harness racing. Though I'm guessing those things probably didn't happen at the same time. (laughs) Such reconciliations could never have been possible had charges been laid. Months following the incident between Percy Paris and Keith Colwell, the charges against Percy were dismissed by the Crown following the October 2013 election. The court referred him to an adult diversion program for people who don't have criminal records. I'm not saying we should go back and charge Laffin for what he did, but in researching this story, it became pretty clear that his respected background helped him out in a tight spot. 
he had and was able to form new relationships with allies, and those relationships gave him protection when he lost his cool. The guy who was punched, on the other hand, Paul? Paul was labeled a troublemaker long before getting punched. He used what Jeremy Ackerman called a loud, hectoring tone to address what he saw as a bastion of wealth and privilege. That's the reason Jeremy Ackerman says Paul was ill at ease in the legislature, and why others saw him as cold, edgy, and standoffish. He also suggests that Paul's unpopularity was the reason why he was depicted in political cartoons and commentary as being responsible for his own assault. The question of whether Percy hit or touched Keith Caldwell is hardly the most important question here. A more important question would be, why wasn't Mike Laffin or the MLA who assaulted Ramona Genex ever charged, but Percy was charged? And if you were an MLA and you lost your cool, would you be protected like Mike, blamed like Paul, or charged like Percy? Offscript is produced by Springtide, a registered charity working to make democracy better here in Nova Scotia. I have a quick correction from last week's episode on women in politics. We told a story about Maxine Cochran, who was the fourth female MLA to sit in the Nova Scotia legislature, not the second, as we said in the show. If you liked what you heard and plan to keep listening, consider becoming a donor for as little as $3 a month. You can do that at offscript.ca slash donate. Make sure to subscribe to On The Record, Offscript, in iTunes, or whatever your podcasting app is. You can find it in a whole bunch of places by searching On The Record, Offscript, in Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and many more. If you noticed a mistake or have a story about life in Nova Scotia politics that you'd like to share, let us know at offscript at springtidecollective.ca.